Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We need to stop treating FANG, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, now Alphabet, as a proxy for the whole darn stock market. On days like today, where the Dow advanced 23 points, S&P declined 0.28%, and the Nasdaq got pulverized down 1.19%. Everybody starts freaking out because the FANG names are so high profile. And they're leading us down. Sell, 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 sell. But stocks can't go up every single day, and there's more to this market than four internet companies. Darn it. Look, there is nothing wrong with big capitalization tech getting crushed while dowdy old industrials like 3M and Caterpillar finally get some bounce. In fact, in the spirit of someone who loves to cut back his tomato plants for the best beef steaks around, it's actually healthy for the market to do a little pruning, too. After today's stunningly negative action in the NAS, as we call it, I know it's hard to resist writing obituaries for Fang here. And unlike most commentators, by the way, I actually wrote obituaries for a living in my ink-stained days. I can't blame anyone for feeling like these fast-growing companies are dead men walking. It's never fun owning stock in a company whose CEO is being drawn and quartered in front of Congress. Think Facebook or Twitter or even Alphabet, where the top dogs refuse to show up to the hearings. Who feels safe owning the cloud kings, companies that are exploiting the hottest secular growth story around, when one of them allegedly reported subpar earnings last night and its stock imploded down 9.2% today? I say allegedly because the offender, Workday, actually had terrific earnings, just not terrific enough to reflect the stock's remarkable run over the past couple of months. But this tech breakdown is not the end of the world, people. It's what we call rotation, not volleyball stocks. It's where investors swap out of one group and swap into another. More than that, it's what I call predictable rotation. I predicted myself last night, part of our September blues. Let me walk you through it. First of all, even the best stocks don't go up in a straight line, while uh, this market pretty much has indicated that they do. So far this year, the Nasdaq, an index that's heavy with Fang and buddies, has rallied nearly 16%. By the way, you know, that's the best performing index in the world of the majors. After that sprint, Fang was indeed due for a breather. As I told you yesterday, September is indeed the month where big money managers take profits in their winners. And when an index is up nearly 16%, well, that's a whole lot of profits. Second, the S&P 500 is up 8%, and more than a third of that comes from Fang. But the Fang-free Dow Jones is only up 5%. Remember, the A stands for Amazon, not Apple. No wonder the same people ringing the register on the high-flying NASDAQ are now going bargain hunting in the Dow. Third, while the industrial economy is incredibly strong, there is a sense that these stocks are only one presidential tweet away from getting slammed. 
When Trump doesn't tweet about how our trading partners are unfair brigands and greedy roustabouts for a few days, as has been the case this go-around, perhaps because there's a book, well, an op-ed piece, I don't, you know, I'm not into that stuff. And instead, we get some sort of Wall Street research praising the cyclicals as buying opportunities, as we did this morning. I'm into that stuff. It's going to resonate. Many people have given up on these stocks. Today, they had a field day. Let's take 3M, a sore point for me because my chapel trust owns it. And yet we got our, uh, let's say, our clocks clean, so to speak. When we met with 3M at the end of, uh, right at about the time of the Super Bowl or the last time the Eagles played, if you want to be parochial about it, the stock had just hit an all-time high of $259. Everything seemed to be going swimmingly. Then the president got aggressive on trade, especially trade with China, where 3M gets a lot of its growth. Making matters worse, the auto parts business got pancaked, and that's a big end market for 3M. So the company hit us with two guide downs in a row. Next thing you know, the stock's plummeting. Since then, it's become an object of derision on Wall Street. 3M finally bottomed at $190. It, it took, that is down a staggering 69 bucks from its highs. This is 3M, for heaven's sake. That is a huge decline for a stock that's commonly thought of as a blue-chip core holding, the kind of thing people tend to buy and hold for ages. But the stock started bouncing once people unpacked the latest quarter, and they realized the company's growth had actually reaccelerated. And it picked up another two points thanks to today's rotation. Now, on days like today, I like to perform a little exercise. I used to teach this at Goldman Sachs, by the way. Eh, free pub for my, uh, my alma mater. First, you take an ailing stock like that of Facebook. And you see what people are paying for it. It trades at 23 times next year's earnings estimates. Then you look at something like 3M that's bouncing. $3.23 just today, and it still only sells for 20 times earnings. 23 times earnings for Facebook, 20 times earnings for 3M. Facebook has a much, much faster growth rate than 3M, so you'd think it would merit a much higher price earnings multiple, not just a slightly higher one. But as I told you last night, not many investors have faith in Facebook's ability to meet those estimates, the ones that we base these P.E. or price earnings multiple calculations on. When I listen to COO Sheryl Sandberg testify about the need to get more rigorous about policing bad behavior, all I could think of was, holy cow, it's going to be expensive. So what are, what's happening at FB? Costs are going up. Revenue slowing down. That's a recipe for earnings cuts, not increases. And what have I told you? What is the surest way to predict what direction a stock's going to go? Sell, sell, sell. Estimate cuts. On the other hand, 3M looks like it's in acceleration mode after that last quarter. Business is stronger than the guide down led us to believe. If anything, you know what? We may get a guide up next time around. Plus, unlike Facebook, 3M pays you a, a dividend. The stock yields at 2.6% right now. We can run the same exercise for so many companies, including one that's on later tonight, Honeywell. Why own Facebook at 23 times next year's earnings that it probably can't make when you can own Honeywell at 18 times earnings that it'll probably beat with a huge catalyst coming in the form of a breakup? Unlike Facebook, the last time it reported Honeywell did surprise the upside, not the downside. That said, I don't want to leave you crying here. That would be a mistake. I don't want you to leave you with the idea that, that uh, Facebook is somehow representative of the NASDAQ or even FANG. The truth is, Facebook's unusual. The rest of these high-flying tech companies have fabulous, consistent growth and don't have these gigantic publicity problems. Remember, I told you it's a broken stock, not a broken company. As much as I like the industrials, I do worry that the multi-front trade war will escalate again. And when that happens, the market might rotate back into the stocks that got thrown away today. For example, let's talk about this workday. You know we've had a Neil Bush free on before. He's CEO. It's a remarkable growth company. And it did report a very good quarter, but the stock got slammed. Now, it was overextended. It had gone up way too much in the results. After this decline of 14 points in one session, though, you know what? 
I'd rather be a buyer than a seller of Workday. As much as you might want to rotate into cheaper industrials, there's still plenty of growth buyers who've been waiting for Workday and its compadres to pull back, give them a better entry point. They're not running away from it. Now they're going toward it. So do you just tomorrow scoop up all the cloud kings? No, that's not the way it works. As Mark Chaikin, the legendary technician, points out, stocks like Amazon, Apple, Salesforce, and NVIDIA, all Kramer faves, need a couple more days of selling. Mark, by the way, is going to uh, be down at the Comcast Center at 1701 JFK Boulevard for our NFL kickoff show tomorrow to get really, really granular. So if you are in Philly, we want to see you. Oh, and did I mention we'll have an exclusive with Comcast CEO Brian Roberts that you do not want to miss? Back to the point. I think it'll take a couple more days for these tech stocks to settle. Alphabet's a little harder to figure out because its failure to don the hair suit in front of Congress today may mean more pain tomorrow. It's always tough to know when the selling stops. That's why I like to do my buying in stages. Don't try to call the bottom and build your whole position at once. Take your time. If you uh, buy, say, the stock of NVIDIA and it goes lower, you can just buy some more and get that cost basis down. Whereas if you buy all at once, you'll be kicking yourself for being such an idiot. Uh, Anyway, the market's swooning for NVIDIA rival AMD right now. And until that uh, love cools, I don't think NVIDIA stock's going anywhere. Here's the bottom line. If you owned all tech, you probably felt like today it was indeed the end of the world. That's why I'm always telling you to own a diversified portfolio. As long as you own some industrials, today was just fine. Rotations are inevitable. Stocks don't go up in straight lines. In short, keep calm. Carry on. Joe in New York, Joe. Jim, booyah, how are ya? Booyah, Joe, what's up? So we actually met a few months ago in Florence, Italy. I was finishing some gelato. Turned to my friend and said, that's definitely Jim Cramer and his wife. We need to say hi. Your wife took a great picture of the three of us, and I told myself I owe Jim Cramer a call to let him know the next gelato's on me, whether it's in Italy or the Hamptons next summer. And it meant a lot to us that you came up, and I remembered it was really nice. And by the way, can I make it very clear? My wife and I love it when people come up. We're not like one of those people like, who? hey, get away from me. No, we have a show because of you. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. So down to business, I need to bring up JD.com. It's uh, currently at a two-year low. The CEO, as we know, was arrested for very serious allegations of misconduct. Now, law firms are moving in on an investigation regarding the company releasing materially misleading information to the investing public. Yeah, I've been shorting this intraday for the past few weeks. But at this point, I hold no position because regardless of bad news, I don't believe straightforward logic really applies in this situation. And the reason being, it's the Chinese government. They can move in at any point and manipulate this as they please. Joe, thank you for saying that. I feel so often that when I say stuff like that, that the PRC, that the government is basically manipulating so many stocks. People say, oh, what's Kramer got up against the PRC? No, Joe and I are in agreement. You can't touch these kinds of stocks. They are right now being propped up. I don't trust that stock. I don't trust any of the stocks coming out of China. And by the way, I think a lot of manufacturers are pouring out of China right now. And this is the time. This is the time to not be thinking about the Chinese stock market. What we're seeing is a recognition that some stocks can't go up forever and everyone needs a little love. And this is why being diversified matters. That's the point of the show sometimes. I sat down with the CEO of RH after earnings at its brand new gallery in New York's meatpacking district. Find out how it's looking past the four walls of retail that I think drove the stock down today. You're not going to want to miss it. Then Lululemon is stretching past its roots. Can the rally keep running? Don't sweat it. I'm breaking down its earnings beat. And can you catch more flies with honey? Well, <laughs> tonight I'm sitting down with the CEO to get the latest in the company's restructuring plans to see if it's time to dip into the pot. 
So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Hey, say what's happening, man. Tip T.I. Harris right here, the King Good. Welcome to 10 Songs That Made Me, a new show that invites artists and influencers to explore 10 of the tracks that made them who they are today, as creators and as people. You'll hear the soundtrack to my life in the very first episode, but make sure to tune in every week for new episodes. Follow and listen for free, only on Spotify. When RH, the company formerly known as Restoration Hardware, reported a blowout quarter in June, its stock exploded higher. But after the high-end furniture retailer reported again last night, the stock broke down, plunging $19 or 13% today. Hey, what went wrong? Well, RH delivered a gigantic earnings beat. Its revenue came in a tiny bit light. And even though management raised its full-year earnings forecast dramatically, thanks to much higher gross margins, they slightly trimmed their full-year revenue forecast. I think these numbers were pretty darn great, frankly, but the stock had run so much going into the quarter that it was priced for perfection. And profit takers seemed to be looking for any reason to ring the register including what I regard as short-sighted ones. But do not take it from me. Earlier today, we got a chance to check in with Gary Friedman. He's the chairman and the CEO of RH at his magnificent brand-new store in Manhattan's meatpacking district. Take a look. Gary, you called it gallery. I think it's a palace. Tell us what's going on here. Well, Jim, we, this is, to date, our finest work. And, uh, you know, we, we said, uh, I think it, I wrote in the letter, uh, we believe this is the most innovative, innovative retail store in the world in the most important city in the world. So we put a lot of effort into this. And basically, it's, it's an integration of everything we do, um, from food, wine, art, and design, uh, uh, and creating a, a deeply immersive experience for our consumers and, uh, and for, for our clients, and, uh, and, and really trying to amplify the brand in, uh, in what is you know, the most visited city in the world. Uh, this, is, this is much more than a store. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a statement about kind of who we are and what we believe in uh, that we believe will echo globally. Okay, now you're speaking tomorrow to shareholders, speaking to analysts. These are people who really are bound in many ways by the four walls of the spreadsheet, not by the four magnificent walls here. How do you get across your vision, what you just told about, to people who are saying, I want to know what the price earnings multiple should be of the stock? Well, I think that you have to think about, you know, business like ours uh, over the long term, right? Whether it's a horizon of a year, uh, five years, uh, there's there's really three holders between myself. I mean, if you read our proxy, uh, you know, between my options and everything, I, I own about 27 percent of the business. And Including I have, stock you bought in the open market yeah. uh, 120 points ago. Um, 120 points ago, I bought my last my last purchase, I think, was in 97. So I bought stock four times in the last 14 months, uh, uh, you know, all the way up from, I think, 27 to 97. And uh, um, I won't say what I'll do on this dip, but, <laughs> but it, it's really, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. People talk about, oh, our turnaround, or like it's a short-term view. Uh, it's, it's not a turnaround. This is, 
really continually reconceptualizing and evolving the business and the brand. So, uh, you know, I've, I've been in the kind of public markets for a long time, and what I've seen is, is people, you know, it's like you get in the public markets, you bring a car out into the racetrack, and then you're on this quarterly racetrack, right? And you're racing around, and, and eventually you're going to blow a tire, and you have to bring it into the pits. And, and the question is, what do you do when you bring the car into the pits? Do you just change the tires and get back out? And I think that's what most people tend to do because there's such a short-term focus. Um, we brought the car into to the pits and we reconceptualized the entire operating platform, the entire business. We moved from a promotional model to a membership model. We're re-architecting uh, and, and reconceptualizing every aspect of how we run the business. And I, in my entire career, I've never done that and I've never experienced it. Uh, and, uh, and, and it... Uh, you know, so you know, we, we're, we're setting this business up for the next 10 years, right? And, and it's hard to understand because I've, I've never done it before, and I'm sure nobody's seen it. So, But you have to come here to understand it. I've been able to look around, including the rooftop. You start your conference call this time. Gary, you started talking about hospitality. Now, you take us in other directions than we're used to. The road less traveled. You invoke that in your conference call. Is, sometimes you're too big for us to think. How do I get my arms around a concept of a man who's doing hospitality, showing us amazing things in a, in a beautiful building, has a guest house across the street, and yet is still focused on buying back a billion dollars worth of stock at much lower prices? One, it's not a man, it's, it's the team. I've got most of my team here in the background uh, getting ready to open this, this beautiful gallery. Um, but we, we always say we're, we're, we're always unfinished, we're always on the move, everything's always in evolution. And I think the thing that people miss about us, I, I think because we, uh, you know, we, we curate and we present goods in uh, you know, such an aspirational, inspirational fashion, uh, they think it's, it's magic. Right. And and a lot of times if people go, oh, you guys really have the magic. Well, if if you talk to anybody in our company, they'd tell you, Gary would say this is all about math. It's not about magic. It's about math. And so uh, it, it, we have one of the most volatile stocks in all of retail. Um, and Albert Einstein uh, says uh, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. Right. You've got a stock going up and down. What's the opportunity? Opportunity is how do you monetize that volatility? Right, so we were able to do three convertible uh, uh, note offerings at zero interest. Um, uh, we raised the first two, $650 million. Uh, and because of that, we were in a position when our uh, stock went down, when we were in the pull the car into the pits, to buy back half the company at $49 a share. Right? And, and so, about 100 points ago. Yeah, about 100 points ago, a little less. I mean, today, you know, they're beating us up a bit. Right. But again, I mean, you look at somebody asked me, you know, are you okay? And I said, I said, I'm great. <laughs> this is going to be one of the best days of my life. But remember, Gary, I teach people same-store sales of the mm -hmm. metric. I teach people we want to see revenue growth. This right. was an expense, you gross margin expansion story. You want to make money. Different direction from what a lot of people are used to. Yeah, again, it's just what, what's the right thing for a business uh, in the moment? Right. Okay. And, and, and so you have to, in the moment, uh, looking out over a kind of a longer term horizon. And it's a series of, of decisions. So, I mean, look, our, our comparable brand revenues were up 5%. I, I don't know anybody in the home furnishings industry that had a higher one. So people think, oh, it wasn't as high as they thought it was. Uh, but our earnings are up more than three times, right? right. And, and you, the way you have to think about this business today is that 
you know, most retailers just reconceptualize or evolve the front end of their business. Mm -hmm. But because it's, it's, it's hard to kind of run a business and then kind of change the engines, right? Uh, you know, it's like you're flying the plane. We're reconceptualizing the, in, the engines and reconceptualizing the back end, and then we'll pivot back to more accelerated growth next year on what we believe will be the most profitable and capital efficient platform in mm -hmm. our industry by far. All right, one last question. Uh, Estate Zinc uh, Ring Planter, okay. My wife, Lisa, who actually brought to this shoot, believe it or not, <laughs> 310 listed. She buys at 230 because she's a member. So Correct. there are, membership has privileges in your loyalty. Oh, absolutely. And, and what, we, what we try to do is, is uh, remove the chaos, right? And, uh, and simplify the business. And not our, our clients deal with the up and down promotions of a, of a typical retail business. And, and move or the tariffs. Business. Yeah, tariffs is another story, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Everybody operates in their own self-interest. I think you know, China and America will find what's the, the right medium. But as far as membership goes, we wanted to simplify the business so our, our customers can focus on their projects and not focus on the promotions. Uh, we wanted to uh, accentuate and amplify our design services so you get free interior design services and not decorating, right? We don't come in here and send some kind of junior visual people to kind of hang a few things on your wall. We have really trained interior designers coming into your home and, and helping you reconceptualize your home. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's it's, you've got to remove, I think, the clutter in our industry that's happened uh, over the past year. So I think it's going to be, be seen as kind of the, the lost decade of retailers because the capital allocation over the last 10 years and people creating an unnatural shift to move their business online, there's massively deteriorating operating margins. And, you know, online is just another channel. We do over a billion dollars online. You know, people, people think, like, he talks about retail stores. He doesn't believe online. We, we do a billion dollars online. Well, you make a lot of money. Yeah. You made a lot of money for shareholders, which is yeah. what really matters, including yourself. Gary Freeman is Chairman and CEO of Restoration Harbor RH. Thank you, Jim. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you for Congratulations. Coming. Appreciate it. Thank you. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Binge on 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, and everything from hit movies to the latest news, comedy, live sports, and more. Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. Every now and then, a company will report a quarter that's so stunning, so surprising, and so fabulous that you just have to marvel at how it was even possible, like a pitcher throwing a perfect game in baseball. But last week, Lululemon did something even better than that. They delivered jaw-dropping results without a CEO. I'd say this kind of thing was totally unprecedented, except this was actually the second time Lululemon shot the lights out with no CEO at the wheel. In response, the stock surged 13% last Friday and rallied nicely yesterday, although today it started pulling back, giving you a better entry point. We've seen a lot of great retail quarters this earnings season, but Lulu puts them all to shame. 
So as an educational exercise, I want to walk you through everything that went right here, explain why the stock's still worth owning even after this epic run, and it certainly is. I've been a big fan of Lulu since the stock was trading in the 50s and 60s last year. Now it's at nearly 153, and I'm betting it's got more room to run. The thesis here was always pretty straightforward. The company made some major technological investments to bolster its online business while making the in-person shopping experience more pleasant, money well spent, and it has been fabulous when it comes to the fashion sense of the country. Uh, it, it, it has its finger perfectly on the fashion pulse of the consumer. Okay, I hate to toot my own horn. Well, maybe I don't, but we've been very right on this one. So let's talk about last week's breakout quarter. Sure, Lulu reported a 22 cent earnings beat off a 49 cent basis with much higher than expected revenues, up an astonishing 25% year over year. Sure, the gross margin, what they make after subtracting the cost of goods sold, expanded dramatically, up 320 basis points to 54.8%. Not as much as RH, but pretty darn good. But that's not even the really impressive part. Now, the stunning number here was Lululemon's same-store sales growth. It was up 20%. Do you know what Wall Street was looking for? Only 9.6. Not just better than expected, but actually two times better than expected. Some of that came from strength at Lulu's company-owned stores up 10%, which is a staggering figure for brick-and-mortar retail, especially when the analysts were only predicting a 4% increase. But most of the strength comes from down right to their direct-to-consumer business, meaning the web, and it's up 48%, and the analysts were expecting 34%. They knew it would be great. They just didn't anticipate that it would be this great. Oh, and by the way, this is despite Lulu's online business being up against some very difficult comparisons. Even better, the company raised their full-year sales and earnings forecast. Management also repurchased 3.4 million shares during the quarter, an average price of $121. Looking pretty smart, right? And that means they retired 2.7% of the share count. A gracious buyback, if you ask me. So how did these guys do it? There were six things that really stood out to me, and we're going to go over them so you understand when you're looking for a great retail stock, this is what it is. First, lose digital businesses docking out of the park. This is one of the reasons I've been such a big fan of the stock. They spent a lot of money on e-commerce, including rolling out a whole new digital store last year. Those investments are really paying off. Uh, but they, they haven't been complacent at all, though. Conference call management pointed out uh, to all sorts of ways they're going to keep improving that online experience. Better checkout, better search, more personalization. They have whole data science teams figuring this stuff out. The key here is that COO Stuart Hazel long a favorite of mine, said, and I quote, they expect to see ongoing improvement over the next several quarters, end quote. Ongoing improvement? How could you get better? I like to hear this. Second, the actual stores are doing very well. The 10% same-store sales growth was fueled by a high single-digit increase in traffic. That's the best kind of growth a retailer can have. Third, consider the cadence. Lou's store, store traffic has accelerated sequentially for five straight quarters, meaning each one was better than the last. And Hazelin says this pattern has continued through the beginning of the current quarter. I bet traffic keeps improving. Fourth, somebody must have told Lululemon that men don't have um, uh, cooties because they've been going after more male customers, and it is working. The company has a, bu- a bunch of ambitious targets that they want to hit by 2020, and management just told us that their men's business is effectively ahead of schedule. No wonder they're getting more traffic. Fifth, I mentioned this before, it bears repeating. At a time when every other American company is terrified of doing business in China, Lulu has embraced the People's Republic. Their Asian sales were up more than 50%, but their Chinese e-commerce business more than tripled for the quarter. In fact, they just launched a store on WeChat, China's huge social media and mobile uh, payment platform. 
Now, okay, it's a risk with the trade war, but, but those numbers are incredible. Six, this one's harder to measure. But it's clear that Lululemon is nailing the fashion element perfectly. For example, the company's selling an insane amount of pants for both women and men, two high-margin categories. One last thing. At the end of July, Lululemon announced they were finally bringing in a new CEO, Calvin McDonald. He's from Sephora, where he did a great job. You know I love that chain. And I liked his uh, little guest appearance in the conference call. But, man, the executives who've been running this company with no CEO for two straight quarters Round of applause. Chairman Glenn Murphy, CEO Stuart Hazelin, CFO PJ Greedo, Chief Technology Officer Julie Avril, Executive Vice President for the Americas Celeste Burgoyne, and Senior VP for Merchandising Sun Cho have all done a magnificent job. I hope McDonald takes their advice very seriously, because as far as I'm concerned, this team has proven they can do the job without a CEO. Bottom line, Lululemon is firing on all cylinders, and I think the stock still has more upside. It's not exactly cheap anymore, 37 times next year's earnings, estimates, but I think Lulu is absolutely worth buying into any weakness, like, say, weakness we had today. Jeff in Ohio. Jeff. Booyah. Thanks for taking my call, Jim. Of course, Jeff. What's going on? Hey, wanted to ask about L brand stock. Um, So with all the current changes with leadership and current friends, buy, sell, or hold? Uh, I see no reason to consider that stock in your portfolio. None. I have very little reason. I'm not going to buy a stock of a company that's doing poorly because it has a good yield. That's always been a chump position to take. All right. Lululemon is a warrior. Even without a CEO, the company is able to fire on all cylinders. And I think there's more upside after this weakness, of course. Much more mad money hit. They say breaking up is hard to do, but does Honeywell make it look easy? I'm going to talk with the CEO to get a read on how the company's restructuring plans are shaping up. Then, why a strong employment number may actually be bad for business, or at least the stocks of business. And all your calls are rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Here's some exciting stuff. The Honeywell breakup is rapidly approaching, and I think it's going to be a big win for you, shareholders. Remember last year, this gigantic industrial conglomerate announced that it would spin off its transportation business, think fuel-efficient turbochargers. That's called Garrett. And they're spinning off their total home connectivity business. That's called Residio. That will leave the remaining Honeywell as a huge aerospace defense business with sidelines and special materials industrial productivity. Regular viewers know I tend to adore corporate breakups because they're a great way to unlock value. Money managers will pay more more for simple, straightforward stocks that are easy to understand. That's what Honeywell's giving you. Plus, it helps that the company's effectively separating itself from two of its end markets that just currently have fallen out of favor with the Wall Street fashion show, housing and autos. I think that's one reason why this stock has made a nice comeback over the past couple of months. Although it doesn't hurt that the least last quarter, exceptionally strong. Management raised their full-year guidance by a hefty amount. So let's check in with Darius Adamczyk. Now, Darius is the relatively new CEO of Honeywell, only because you might, of course, remember Dave Cody from the show many times. And we're going to get a better read on the company, how it's doing in the start of the breakup. So, Mr. Damchuk, welcome to Mad Money. Great to see you, sir. Have a seat, Darius. Glad to be here. Well, it's very exciting to have you. We've been huge champions, as you know, of the stock for, uh, for a double. And I want people to understand, over the next two quarters, we're going to get a brand new, so to speak, Honeywell. Why you need to do it, because we always were enamored of the company that Dave had, and why you think this can do better. Well, one of the things that I always think that a new CEO should do or any CEO should do periodically is review the portfolio. And I did it once when I was COO, and then I did it again when I became CEO. 
And although we did have some um, activist interest, it really wasn't a stimulus because that's some of the analysis I was going to do regardless. And then I defined what is defines a Honeywell business. And then there are a couple of businesses that frankly were terrific businesses, mm -hmm. Garrett and Residio, but frankly, they didn't fit the Honeywell profile. And sort of the, the kind of test all that end all litmus test for me is, am I as a Honeywell CEO likely to put money, capital to work in these two businesses? And frankly, there are some other businesses that would be ahead of it, which obviously raised them to the top of maybe they don't belong in a portfolio, but they're terrific franchises that have performed extra, exceptionally well for us. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because what we've discovered in these breakups is it's not necessarily what you think is going to do well that ends up doing well. I love what we're calling Remain Co. right now because of aerospace, because of defense, non-residential oil and gas, between you're the leader in that, industrial productivity. Amazon is a giant client. But then I look at how Advancix did which is a cats and dogs. That's what we thought. Spinoff. And it's been a killer. Right. So we shouldn't necessarily dump Garrett or Residia. No, they're terrific businesses. If you think about Garrett, and this is a business that I have a long-term view because of the wins that they've had in a lot of different platforms, the kind of performance they've had in the past. And frankly, it's one of those businesses that I don't worry about. When they commit to a quarter, when they commit to a number, they deliver like clockwork. So it's a terrific franchise. It just doesn't happen to fit our portfolio. Residio, same story. Huge installed base. It's present in so many, in millions upon millions of homes. Have a great strategy around a connected home, a one-stop shop solution, and a great distribution, low voltage distribution called ADI to go along with it. Terrific franchise. No, I, I think that they can expand and do great stuff. Now, I am... Uh, it really kind of in awe of what the new company's going to be look like because you have $10 billion of cash to deploy in 2018. I mean, the cash available here, more aggressive capital deployment soon, accelerated cash flow conversion. For those who are just regular uh, shareholders of Honeywell, what are all those things translating to? Well, obviously, we have a lot, many more tailwinds behind us. I mean, we've picked up our organic growth. We're driving better cash conversion. Continued the terrific margin expansion record that Dave established that's continuing. And now we have about $10 billion plus of firepower on the balance sheet to deploy to stock buybacks, to dividends, and to M&A. We're actively participating in a lot of different things that are happening. And now we have four exciting sectors to invest for M&A. And you know, one of my goals in the two spins was also to simplify the company. We've gone from eight end markets to six and all of them are extremely appealing from an investment perspective. One of the things that you've done is continue Dave Cody's completely open way, transparent way. You head on talk about the tariff issue and what it would mean for Honeywell. Yeah, so one of the things that we pride ourselves on is that we have very much a local for local strategy. So most of our manufacturing innovation, for example, for China takes place in China. Same thing in the U.S. So actually, the tariffs are not a big mover for us because we are very much local for local. Obviously, you know, we plan for the worst and hope for the best. I remain optimistic that things will get resolved because I believe the world's number one and number two economy will come together and arrive in agreement. But where it will impact us, we have plans in place around supply chain, around pricing, around movement of some of our goods. All those things are already in place and we're ready. 
But all in all, it, the impact for us is relatively modest. All right. Uh, one last issue that I want to go over is it was a great surprise to some people. I don't know. I know Dave Cody lived next door and all sorts of exciting things going on. We all know that you're the king of aerospace because you're uh, really agnostic. Uh, we know you have great defense business. This uh, oil and gas, petroleum, chemicals is good. But suddenly people are excited about your right. Amazon business. So right. why don't you just give me a second yeah. on that? Yeah, so it's, uh, it relates to our warehouse automation business. It's a franchise that we acquired a business called Intelligrated. It's been just a terrific growth business. I mean, when you think about 50, 100% booking rate increases, you know, top line growth of 20% plus, I mean, that's, it gets very, very exciting. And uh, obviously, uh, Amazon and all, we have other exciting customers. And I think this is a nice pickup for us because it's coming at the right time. Warehouse automation is huge, driven by e-commerce. It's a trend that I believe is going to continue, not just in North America, but throughout the world. And uh, it was a great pickup for well, us. There's, is, I'm listening to you. Is that how you could go from what people thought would be 3% organic growth to double that? Is it that kind of acceleration? Well, I think, you know, Jim, you're starting to see it. You know, we've yeah. gone from kind of a zero to one growth. We did 4% last year. We did 5% in Q1, 6% in Q2. And I continue to be very bullish on our growth. And as you know, that's been my number one priority for the business is, how do we increase the enhance the organic growth rate? That well, I, was the I, one thing I wanted to do, and it's starting to come through. And you're doing. I've got to hand it to you. I remember when Dave Cody said goodbye, and he said, "It's Darius's airplane." And holy cow, he was literal, and you took him literally, and the value's coming out. Congratulations, what you're doing, Darius, for all your shareholders. That's Darius Demchek. He's the chairman, CEO of Honeywell. Wow, the stock was great today. It's going to be great for all of 2018, and I believe 2019 too. Maybe you keep the pieces. Mad Money's back after the break. He's going on the road to my hometown of Philadelphia for the big NFL kickoff. We're celebrating my team. Go Eagles! They're ours! If we're theirs! We'll be talking football. We'll be talking socks. Hey, two of my favorite things. I run with the Bulls, but I fly with the Eagles. I'm going home for the big game. Matt Money, countdown to kickoff. Tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern on CNBC. Booyah! And don't miss the game. The Falcons versus the Eagles. Tomorrow on NBC. Yep, tomorrow's the big countdown to kick off. Mad Money is hitting the road to Philly, my hometown. I want to see you at the show. Join us at the Comcast Center on JFK Boulevard, around 17th Street, okay? Tomorrow, starting at 345. Be a part of this action. Be sure to come early. Space will be limited. Show is open to the public, so come with your questions. You can be featured in a special edition of Mad Money. Go Birds! And now it is time! It's time for the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Here's our money. Let's start with Saul in New York. Saul. Hi, Jim. A big booyah. I'm a first-time caller. I own SanDisk, which was bought out earlier this year by Western Digital. The stock went up to 107 in March and has since fallen out of bed to the high 59 range. Right. They also pay a 3% dividend. Would you recommend buying more? Okay, it's a great question. We have been talking about this uh, with the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. We have felt that this stock, we sold it in the 90s and 80s. Why? Because the cycle has gotten weak. We'd like to see the numbers come down. We think that they have to, and only then will the stock bottom. I'm going to Jerry in Florida. Jerry. 
Hi, Jim. This is Jerry from Florida. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, thank you for calling, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you what you do for all of us investors. Sure try. What's up? My company is Box Inc. What is your opinion on the stock and the company? Look, I think Aaron Levy's great, but the stock did, did not deliver a perfect quarter. In this environment, you have to wait till the next quarter. I know that sounds soporific, but that's exactly what has to happen. I'm going to John in California. John. Uh, booyah, Jim. Out here in Sacramento. You know we love you. I haven't no, talked to you in a while. Oh, thank you. I miss Sac, though. How can I help? Okay, Jim. A while back, you had the uh, CEO of uh, U.S. Concrete on, and uh, I, I chose him as my, I like what he said, I chose him as my infrastructure play. Now I don't hear anything about infrastructure. Is it dead money, or what do you Bill think of U.S. Brooke Concrete? Bill had a great narrative. If we had gotten an infrastructure bill, we didn't, so therefore you got too much concrete. And I got to tell you something, the only concrete I'm like right here is Concrete Charlie. Yes, he used to play one of the late greats for the Philadelphia Eagles. How about Casey in California? Casey! Hey, Jim. I've been watching your show since March 14, 2005. I believe it was a Monday. Sir, you didn't talk about Coupa software yesterday. I didn't like the reversal in Coupa. You know what happened is Coupa got brought down by the whole cloud thing. Then we got thrown over the workday and they got other And you know what? Coupa's quarter was magnificent. Whatever the cops call this thing, they are firing on all cylinders. Believe it or not, up four is a buying opportunity. How about we go to Rusty in Louisiana? Rusty. Booyah, Jim, from Marshville, Louisiana. My wow. stock is all scripts, MDRX. I have not looked at all scripts in probably a half dozen years, so far be it for me to be able to say I like it or not. But we will put it on the list to do some homework. How about Catherine in North Carolina? Catherine. Hey, we love your show. Oh, thank you, Catherine. Uh, what do you think about British American tobacco? The only thing that would make me be interested in that stock, frankly, is if they were going to take a position in Tilray, if they were going to take a position in one of these uh, cannabis stocks, and I don't think they're going to. So, therefore, I say... Don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. Brian don't in buy. Pennsylvania, please. Brian! Booyah, Jim. Uh, call about Tupperware brand. Symbol uh, T-U-P. Doesn't this man sound like he's from, perhaps the wrong end of the state? <laughs> okay, Tupperware, no. I think that they're just doing okay, don't not buy, great, don't, don't buy, need don't to buy. be there, and that ladies on the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. We're back in bizarre world where good news is bad news. I'm actually afraid of getting a strong employment number on Friday. Why? Is that not because it'll encourage the Fed to tighten, but because I think it'll embolden President Trump to keep escalating the trade war. Or at least the trade war of words. Can't you just see him tweeting pot shots at everyone from the Chinese to the Canadians right after that 8.30 number? When that happens, the industrials that do a lot of business in China, think Boeing, Caterpillar, United Technologies, Emerson Electric, 3M, tend to get hammered because the tweets ratchet up the tension. Now, the conventional wisdom on Trump is that he's a very unpredictable guy. But I think that's not quite true when it comes to the economy anymore. We can now predict what he'll do. You get a robust employment number, like I'm expecting on Friday, and he'll tweet about how it's time to hit the Chinese, the Canadians, and the Europeans even harder. He uses the good news as an occasion to character assassinate our trading partners on Twitter. And that sends the stocks of companies with major international exposure into a tailspin. 
As someone who genuinely believes in a tough trade agenda, I wish the president would go about it differently. The end game is to get lower tariffs on our goods worldwide while stopping China from stealing our intellectual property and forcing our companies into bogus joint ventures. The end game is not to humiliate and trash talk our trading partners. I think that's counterproductive. That's especially true with China, where the whole ideology of the Communist Party is built around standing up to the West. I think China's going to cave because its country's economy is being hurt. No need to rub it in their faces when behind the scenes, suasion might do better. I know the president has some sort of agreement with Mexico, but that's because the current administration had a short window to make a deal before the newly elected socialist government takes power. Now, normally when we get a great job number, <laughs> I would be the first one to take, go by the industrials. Uh, it could still be the case, but not on the day of the Labor Department's report, because we've seen too many angry and insulting tweets about our trading partners, even if you want to put quotes around the word partners, whenever we get excellent economic news. I'm actually wondering if Friday's number might be so good that it'll cause a multi-tweet presidential fusillade that will bring down the industrials at the open. Don't get me wrong. I recognize that this is the best possible time to crack down on abuses from our trading partners. It's the way the president attacks them. It's got me to scroll. Look, I've been an outspoken critic of America's laissez-faire approach to trade. Every other country on earth has some kind of industrial policy. Their governments are actively trying to win business for domestic corporations. America, on the other hand, has played with one hand tied behind its back for decades. I don't blame China or Germany for wanting to promote their own manufacturers. I just want the United States to do the same thing. Otherwise, there's no playing field that is level. In fact, I've repeatedly taken a harder line than the president on many trade issues, dating back to when I debated Larry Kudlow nightly on Kudlow and Kramer. But when I put my stock picking hat on, the one I wear now, all I can say is the tweets are too much, the vitriol too vivid, the anger too palpable to achieve a very reasonable and rational objective. In other words, be ready for a Twitter-induced sell-off if we get a fabulous employment number on Friday. In keeping with the start of the NFL season, I can only call this trash talk. Trump loves to talk trash. Our trading partners, well, they're the, they're the enemy. And I question whether it really accomplishes anything at all. Wasn't it easier when you just had to worry about the Fed raising rates after a good number? Who would have imagined that good news would be bad news, not because of a practical Federal Reserve, but because of a president who just can't seem to restrain himself from tweeting stuff that, even if it's true, probably shouldn't be said in public. Stick Here's what I love. I love stocks. I love the Eagles. I love Philadelphia. And I love Americans. All these loves are converging tomorrow in the plaza outside the Comcast Center at 1701 JFK Boulevard in Center City, Philadelphia. I want you to come see us there. Be in the light round. Watch an amazing exclusive with Comcast CEO Brian Roberts. Tomorrow is the countdown to kickoff for Thursday Night Football. We want you to be there with us, or at least in spirit. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you. Tomorrow! 1980s New York. Five titans redefined the American dream. Helmsley, Bosky, Gotti, Trump, Giuliani. Greed was good, and they wanted it all. Empires of New York, narrated by Paul Giamatti. Series premiere November 29th at 8 Eastern, only on CNBC-TV.